If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode 102 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Amanda Myers, Director of Product Marketing Membership Solutions at Community Brands. Specifically, we talk with her about a report she co-authored recently titled Member Loyalty Study, a deep dive into member retention and preferences. As always, though, before we turn to the interview, we want to thank your membership, the podcast sponsor for the third quarter of 2017. Your membership's learning management system is specifically designed for professional education with a highly flexible and intuitive system that customizes the learning experience. Your membership's LMS seamlessly integrates with key systems to manage all of your educational content formats in one central location, while providing powerful tools to create and deliver assessments, evaluations, and learning communities. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. For our resource for this episode, we want to point you to where you can download the 2017 Member Loyalty Study by Community Brands that we discuss in this episode. The study takes a deep dive into why members stay, why they leave, and the best ways to communicate your value to them. More than 1,000 association members in the U.S. representing a broad range of age segments participated in the survey that underlies the study, so it really does provide some very valuable and representative data. We've put a link to the download page for the report in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at leadinglearning.com slash episode 102. And definitely do get over to the show notes and download that report, but also stay tuned here because Salisa... I know you and Amanda covered many of the key insights from the report in your conversation. We did. We touched on many of the key findings from the report, but of interest to our listeners here, we also kind of went beyond um, what's in the report itself and talked some about the implications of the key findings um, on learning and education that associations offer. Um, We talked about uh, uh, how members feel or don't feel connected to an association and talk a little bit about how learning might be a tool for upping uh, connectedness uh, and that feeling of engagement with members. And we talked too about um, the idea of learning profiles. So there's a lot in there and I encourage folks to stick around, as you said, to listen to what Amanda has to say, as well as checking out the full report. So it sounds like we've definitely really framed this in a way that fits the leading learning listening audience. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll this interview with Amanda Myers. Hello out there. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I'm joined by Amanda Myers, Director of Product Marketing for Membership Solutions at Community Brands. And Amanda is one of the co-authors of the recent Member Loyalty Study, a deep dive into member retention and preferences. And we want to get to that uh, study and talk more about that. But before we do that, Amanda, I want to pause and just say thanks for making time for the Leading Learning Podcast. Oh, you bet. Thank you so much for having me, Salisa. And since I only offered a, a pretty brief introduction there, would you start things off by telling us a little bit more about community brands, whom it serves, and, and how you serve those folks, and, and your role there? 
Absolutely. I'd be more than happy to. Community Brands is really this family of purpose-driven, cause-focused, market-leading technologies. And we work with more than 13,000 nonprofits, associations, and government entities. As individual organizations, I think when we came together earlier this year, we were names familiar to many of your listeners. So your membership, Abila, Aptify, some of your listeners may be familiar with some of our products, Freestone, YM Learning, which was, of course, known as Crowd Wisdom at one point. But the thing is together, we're able to really bring together some of the technologies, the people, thinking, and innovation that we think are really going to drive the sector forward. We may have come from different places and different products, but what's unique is we sort of have come together and we share this commitment to the market we serve. My role as a product marketer is to understand that market. I really focus on researching and documenting the challenges our markets face, and those I largely focus on associations, and some of those, many of those include learning and education areas, but I focus on researching and documenting the challenges those folks are facing. I share that information internally to the teams working on their behalf, so our product team in particular, but I also really have worked with the teams recently and sharing that externally. Our product marketing organization shares it externally in research that we really feel is capturing best practices and information that's designed to make associations and learning departments within associations better for themselves and for their members. Well, that's great. And I would think that this member loyalty study fits right in with that, that goal of sort of spreading um, some, some research and some information with that larger community. Absolutely. And so, you know, we, I do want to talk about some of the findings from that study, but, you know, before we get down to, to that level of looking at the findings, I think it would be helpful if you would give us a little bit of background on the study, you know, it, its origin and, and the purpose, you know, why is community brands um, putting this out there? Absolutely. The origins of the study are actually really interesting. A little over a year ago, we initiated some research and we wanted to understand what membership organizations were prioritizing and what members were valuing most in their relationships. Nobody was actually taking the time to ask both audiences the same questions and comparing the answers. You'd see research that asked you know, membership professionals what was important to members. You would see studies that really focused on asking members what was important to them, but nobody was asking both populations and both groups the same questions and then sort of comparing and contrasting. Um, That gave us, what we did is, so we started that research last year and that gave us tremendous visibility and some really interesting trends around member engagement and helped us discover some really unique differences around engaging members and engaging them at different stages of their career. So we, we shared that information over the course of 2016 and looked to refresh the data this year to see if anything had changed lots changed in the world. So we wanted to understand if some of those priorities have shifted as well. And we looked at some of the same engagement attributes, but looking at the data, you know, it really felt like there might be more to the story. Many organizations are going to have a strategic goal to target a specific audience segment. So for example, you know, organizations who are looking to attract younger members or looking to do more to engage and empower their their mature members, get them more involved in, in their last years with an organization. Some some of these organizations we work with, they target a specific audience segment, but all organizations have a stake in keeping those members engaged because that safeguards their retention numbers. And so we knew this would be important and the community brands member loyalty study was born. We started this journey as a way to help answer some internal questions we had, but we now published the research because we appreciate that it really has value for, the, for that market that we serve. 
Yeah, no, I think it definitely has a lot of um, value for that market that you're serving. And, you know, I'd like to go ahead and jump into a few of the findings. And, you know, one of the big findings is is that overall retention uh, metrics are pretty strong. So 84% of, of uh, the folks uh, talked to for the study are, are satisfied with their membership. But um, far fewer, um, only 55%, really feel a connection to their professional membership organization. So I'm curious, you know, what did you find or, or what do you see as some of the key reasons that, that members don't feel more connected to those organizations that they're part of? It's interesting, right? If so many people are satisfied with their membership, why don't they feel more connected? You know, ultimately, I think their level of satisfaction and their level of connectedness measure two related but slightly different things. I think the satisfaction is a measure of how well a a membership stacks up against your expectations. Those expectations could be really high. Those expectations could be really low. But connectedness on the other hand, is really more of a measure of engagement or how well maybe membership stacks up against what that member really wants and what they really value, how well it aligns with the benefits a member finds important and how much the content resonates with them, how they respond to the channels. So, you know, one is kind of measuring against expectations. I know what I'm getting into with how satisfied am I that you deliver on the bullet point list of things you promised me when I joined your organization. I think that's maybe satisfaction. Connectedness is a little fuzzier, but I think connectedness is ultimately going to be more influential and important because it's really measuring how they feel about you, how engaged they are with you, and what that relationship looks like. Ultimately, that's that's one of the things that's going to be important to establishing loyalty and, and sustaining loyalty moving forward. Well, yeah, I think that's interesting, this idea that maybe the satisfaction is a little more cerebral, right? Sort of thinking through expectations. And then you have the more emotional um, idea of of connectedness and and engagement. Um, You know, it's how satisfied, if you think about in your own personal life, even beyond your membership, how satisfied am I, how satisfied am I with an appliance in my home or my car or, you know, my experience at a grocery store? I'm satisfied because I was able to find what I was looking for and complete my transaction and get out of there relatively unscathed. How connected I feel is a, is a different question. It's how I, you know, what were my emotions, to your point, my emotions surrounding that experience? How did I, did I really like it? Do I feel engaged? Am I going to go back there? Um, that is slightly di- related again, but slightly different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so do you have some ideas for how organizations might boost that sense of connection that, that members feel about their association? You know, how organizations could get members to feel more of that emotional engagement, that connection? Uh, there, you know, there are so many uh, members. Members are going to join organizations for different reasons, but you know, it's what keeps them paying their dues year after year. I think you're right to focus on that sense of connectedness. You know, the first step is really talking to and understanding what your members are looking for on a regular basis, and I think that's critical. If you if you have that dialogue with them, and it's not just a survey once every 24 months when you redo a strategic plan, but it's really more of a dialogue, and and you're kind of keeping a pulse on them. But in, in addition to engaging those individual members, I think there's an opportunity to look at them as a part of a segment and and group them in a way that's going to be meaningful to your organization. You can group them by membership type, you can group them by stage of career or their loyalty, which I know we're going to talk about a little today. You can focus on your entire membership and segmenting your entire membership, or you can focus really on just diving deep into one audience, one specific segment that you need to know more about. But segmentation and really going through that exercise 
exercise of understanding a group and understanding their behaviors and how it kind of compares against others in your organization, that segmentation is going to give you insights into what's keeping them engaged and maybe highlight some of the opportunities you're missing. I think, for example, in our study, millennials and Gen Xers, we, we do talk a little bit about generations in study, and our millennials and Gen Xers rank job opportunities and online education significantly higher than other member segments, other career stages. And that makes total sense. But it, consider if, if if that's true in your organization and you know you find that your millennials and your Gen X members have those same benefits that they value more, they're looking more at you know online education and job opportunities, how are you getting the word out to younger members about training? Are you em- emphasizing different things to these younger members? Or are you maybe not even talking to them as a standalone group at all? So I think that's that segmentation is important. If you don't know who a member is, what they care about, the value they're getting and seeking, from your organization, getting them to feel that connection, that emotional reaction to you is going to be a lot harder. So segmentation is definitely, I think, where we would encourage you to start building that feeling of connectedness. It's the foundation. But there's also opportunities to align your content and communications with the preferences expressed by that segment. You know, content is going to play a big role in communicating value of benefits and how the content is delivered can reinforce a feeling of connection. There are so many channels, I think, that professional membership organizations leverage to maintain communications with members. And I think your learning and education folks have even more kind of that they that they use and that they make part of their daily activities. I think, you know, when we look at connection and we look at what channels are engaging folks, email reigns supreme. It's the easiest to engage. Um, Powerful. You know, it's powerful for quick hits of information. Direct mail is a top channel too. So, you know, print could work well if you're looking to get the word out about a training event or a new course. Articles are good. So, you know, connection is, I think at the end of the day, connection and really building connection and taking it to the next level in an organization is a combination of things. But it's really about listening to your members. It's really about understanding what they're looking for and aligning your efforts to what it's all about. If you segment those folks, into groups, then you're able to do that more efficiently trying, than trying to be everything to every single member. You know, kind of, kind of start with a, with a broader view. Well, and because you did emphasize in, in, in your response to how organizations might foster that sense of connection, you really emphasized um, segmentation. So let's do talk a little bit about the, the segments that um, you guys mentioned in the study. And, and so you have this, you know, three segments based on loyalty. You have the, the super members, the rank and file, and the value seekers. So those three different groups. Would you um, share a little bit about, uh, you know, what those segments are, what differentiates those segments? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think you're already getting at it, but maybe talk <laughs> even a little bit more about why, you know, that segmentation is so um, useful to organizations. Yeah, of course. You know, the the loyalty spectrum in those segments were something that really came out of the study when, again, we've been used to looking at the different segments based on career stage, but understood, you know, maybe there's a different way to look at this. So we started looking at it in terms of four key metrics. We looked at it in terms of that satisfaction metric, that connectedness metric. We looked at it in terms of how likely they were to renew and how likely they were to recommend to a friend, an NPS score. And so we looked at in the four metrics and when we grouped those folks together, suddenly, you know, sometimes it aligned along career stage, but not always. And it gave us sort of this new perspective that we felt would maybe resonate to a a broader 
group of folks. That being said, to your point, there's there's three groups that kind of pop out. Um, the first is the super members, and the super members are the most connected. They really care about belonging to your organization. They've got that feeling of connectedness. They value what the organization does for the profession, maybe over some of the, the individual benefits like the job training. They're very focused on what your organization is doing for the industry. They want a high degree of communication. They want to hear from you all the time. They're the ones that are going to be really far and away the most engaged in your social media. Um, they do rank training as a benefit higher than any other segment. So these are the folks who are not only engaged in communicating with you, but they also want to take advantage of a lot of the education opportunities you're bringing to them. They do really appreciate that content is targeted. They are more likely, I thought it was interesting to note, than other segments to be engaged with content presented as a podcast. So there's probably some super members listening now. (laughs) And they're also, um, they're more involved locally. They're more, they're in it for longer. They're more likely to be in a leadership role. These are your superstar members. You know who they are. They're at everything. They're engaging with you on social media. If you need volunteers, they're raising their hand. If you have opportunities for members to lead some of your training sessions, they're the ones who are who are always sending you the email with a great idea. So that's that's your super members. In the middle, you've got a segment that we're calling rank and file. And the rank and file folks are satisfied, but they're feeling less connected. Um, They value a mix of the personal and the professional benefits. They get the big picture, but they also want some of the things that will be beneficial to them in terms of their everyday lives. They want kind of a weekly, monthly update. They may not engage with you as frequently on social media. Um, they'll, They'll definitely, in terms of channels, you know, they also share a preference for email. They think that's the most engaging engaging. That's the best way to get their intention. But it's worth noting that the rank and file are more likely than the other segments we looked at to be engaged through video content. So mm-hmm. they want, they're, they're kind of stuck in the middle and they want to hear a story. They want you to tell a, uh, tell a story about your organization to build that feeling of connectedness. Video can be a very powerful medium for doing that. And, and there's some frustration expressed in the rank and file responses around the lack of personalization and content. Um, you know, for me, the rank and file probably represent the greatest threat and the greatest opportunity. Typically, they're the biggest popular, they're the biggest segment in any organization. These are the people who they come to your annual conference, they'll show up to some of your training sessions, but ultimately at the end of the day, you may not hear from them a whole lot, good or bad. And that presents a lot of opportunity because I think that gives you people, they've got a foot in the door, they want to talk to you, they want to be engaged. Um, but at the same time, it could go the other way. They could end up a value seeker. They could end up kind of dissatisfied and cranky, and then you risk losing them. So I think, you know, rank and file was was something that was really interesting to me and I think really represents a unique opportunity. Let's talk a little bit about value seekers, though. I think everyone's got them. Um, the, the value seekers are, the majority of your value seekers are critics. These are people who may be calling into your office to provide feedback. They may share their <laughs> feedback. Um, they may be sharing feedback with you through social media channels, sometimes in ways that are more constructive than others. Um, but they they're, they're still members of your organization. They are more likely, they were more likely in our report to have lapsed in the last year. And they cite the organization, their membership was providing little value as a reason. Um, They are the group most focused on tangible benefits. So tangible benefits being what's in it for me. Um, They are also the group most interested in certification. 
in terms of a benefit, they rank certification most highly. Um, and if you think about their desire for sort of tangible what's in it for me, show me value, um, they don't have that emotional connection yet. So they're sort of checking the boxes in terms of satisfaction and value. Something tangible like a certification is really, I think, um, going is something that they're very much looking for. They do report being engaged by an organization's magazine or journal, which was an interesting call out. Um, so they, they may be more engaged in the long form content than some of the other segments. There's a fine line in communicating with this group. You know, they only want to hear from you. They only want to hear the big headlines, but at the same time, they don't feel like they're connecting with you. Mm. So it's kind of a catch-22. Um, but one thing that one thing that's worth noting and one way that you can potentially start to overcome that is personalization. The value seekers tend to be highly critical because there's a lack of personalization. It's low relevance in content, low relevance, right? Um, it's, it's interesting to note too, that the value seekers of the value seeker members, they, the, tenure for those folks, the highest portion of tenure was zero to two years. So you have people who are joining an organization and maybe they had a set of expectations that aren't being met and they are now having a bad experience from day one. So, you know, we as organizations may have some more work to do in onboarding and getting them into the learning and education programs that we know they find so valuable from the start. But and these loyalty segments, the super members, the rank and file, the value seekers can be helpful, I think, in a number of ways. First, if you want an overall way to safeguard your loyalty, you know, it's worth understanding the different loyalty segments, what they value, their content preferences. If you don't want to go and develop profiles for individual loyalty segments, at least consider adding some of those loyalty metrics that we discussed in the study, that satisfaction, likelihood to renew, how connected they're feeling, and the likelihood to recommend to any existing member or learner personas. I think it can add an additional dimension there that could be very helpful. But creating a more robust picture of a particular loyalty segment can be really helpful, I think, in strategic planning. So let's say you're having a lot of attrition. You're having members who are letting their membership lapse. And looking at value seekers can help you pinpoint the reasons why and help you prioritize what needs to be addressed. I think, you know, if you have a, for example, you have a bunch of learners who take what they need to take, but don't engage in training beyond that. They sort of take what they have to to maintain a certification, but they don't do anything else. You know, you, you have your rank and file members, as we talked about, that could turn to super members, but could go value seekers, leaving your organization and taking those training dollars with them. Understanding those preferences, I think it's really, it's a, it can be a leading indicator for many organizations, you know, big or small, and really just kind of help you prepare and ensure that you're in lockstep with what your members are looking for along the way. Yeah, and I, I really love that you mentioned learner personas in there too, because I do definitely think that, you know, kind of the similar approach to really looking at how um, the, the learners interact with the organization, you know, in addition to or as part of this idea of kind of these, these member um, personas and thinking about this, um, I think that could be very valuable in helping organizations really understand, okay, who is it that we're seeking to serve, you know, with our, our learning offerings and um, whether that's kind of big picture and then also on specific offerings. So that's, that's great. And I, I agree. I think there's huge potential for helping to focus what's being done and ultimately personalize it, which I want to come back to personalization. But yeah. before we get to personalization and talk a little more about that, I want to talk um, about the role of learning and education. Um, since this is the Leading Learning Podcast, I want to talk about how learning and education really factor into member loyalty. And I know that um, you know the study asked about how important different 
benefits and services are in um, people's decision to remain a member. And um, Mm -hmm. some of those were obviously, you know, learning and education related options, you know, certification, training, the online continuing education, in-person CE conferences. You bet. And so none of those were, you know, among the single most popular choices, but I I know each was ranked very important by more than a quarter of respondents and sometimes well over a quarter that certification was up in the forties. And so I'm thinking if you put all these options under the learning and education umbrella, so to speak, you know, it seems like collectively learning and education is a very important driver of loyalty. So I guess my question is, you know, do you agree with, with my assessment or am I wearing my, my own sort of colored lenses? 100%. Education and learning, they're such a huge part of the value organizations today provide. And, you know, if you're aligning your, that particular benefit, kind of everything that falls under that umbrella with, with what members are looking for, you're going to create that loyalty and you're going to drive that loyalty and connectedness from, from the get go. You know, in some other research fielded earlier this spring, members across all generations reported that they chose their association as their go-to for professional development training education 60% of the time. And if I recall correctly, the research also said that 84% of the members rated the professional development and training they received from their associations as either excellent or very good, while only 73% of professional associations said the same about their own educational program. So, you know, when it comes to learning, associations are being, you're being too hard on yourself. Um, You know, members, are coming to you. You're their go-to. They're they're happy with what you are providing. But you know, there's always going to be opportunities to grow and improve. I think you know, millennials. We hate to pick on millennials, but it's a great example. So in this segment in particular, millennials report that they're they're kind of chomping at the bit for the programs that are really going to help them increase their knowledge and skill set to to get a job and to really get that momentum in their career going. They're often early in their career, so they're looking for those practical, tangible, hands-on things I can apply today. Kind of things. And if you're, you know, if you've, do you have that in your education program? Is that something that is available? And do you market that to those members who may be more junior in their career? You know, those kind of tailored programs and targeted content by generation can have a real nice lift in terms of loyalty. But I think to your point, you know, it's not necessarily the big headline item in terms of what is the most wonderful benefit. It doesn't necessarily manifest in the study, but I think people are now so conditioned to leverage their relationship with their member organization as their go-to for training that, you know, it's, it's so, it's so core to the value your members are, are finding and so important. It's definitely something that we hear over and over and over again. Well, good. I feel, um, I, I feel, <laughs> I, I'm happy to hear that you agree with that. Um, and, and so you've, you've mentioned personalization and I know that was another major finding that, you know, the personalization just isn't happening all that often. Um, 47% of respondents say that the, the typical content they get from their professional membership organization isn't personalized. And that's despite the fact that um, organizations are usually collecting at least some data and some um, information about preferences that could be used to personalize um, those, the content and communication. So, you know, I'm thinking with my little learning kind of um, cap and focus on that, you know, with personalization, I think, of course, of personalized learning, you know, this is learning experiences that get tailored to the preferences and specific interests and existing skills and knowledge of of particular learners, um, and that's a very specific um, uh, and maybe somewhat sophisticated application of 
personalization yes. to the learning space. But even without going that far, um, I think there are a lot of implications for the marketing of learning and education offerings um, in terms of what you found about personalization um, in the study. So would you talk a little bit about the, the kind of content mistakes or missteps, um, mischances that, that you um, saw revealed in the study? And, and then if you can, offer some suggestions for organizations that are, are really looking to help make sure that the content they provide is relevant and valuable to the specific members receiving it versus sort of that general membership at large. You know, this was shocking to me that 74% of surveyed members recall being asked for some type of personal information that could be used in targeting, but half report getting content that's not personalized at all. I mean, we live in a world where consumer experiences like getting recommendations from Amazon or Netflix, personalized ads, those things are all starting to influence our members' expectations of us, but still so many of us aren't even trying to keep up. And, you know, we're in the ones, we're the ones who are in the business of relationships, right? We should be using that data maybe more than anybody else. Um, In the study, the lack of personalization seems to be one of the drivers behind the dissatisfaction of the value seekers who we talked about, or that part of the loyalty spectrum feeling that disconnect most strongly. They're not getting content that's relevant to them. That's what they're telling us. And if they're not getting content that's relevant to them, you're not listening. If you're not listening, you don't care. So that's kind of that slippery slope. And in that regard, targeting your learning and education to their interests and preferences, be it in terms of content or the way you're sharing it, can really really pay huge rewards for loyalty. Um, But, you know, even beyond the loyalty segments we talk about, there's some additional attributes we're thinking through that may prove more accessible. I know you talked about sort of those personalized learner paths that are really sophisticated, and there are some organizations who are ready for that. But for others, there are definitely opportunities I think they could consider and take advantage of um, before going that far, if you will. So let's tackle content first. So in in the study, 23% of survey respondents reported receiving content that's targeted to them targeted to them based on their career stage and that means 77% of the survey respondents have not received content targeted to them based on their career stage mm-hmm. A lot of organizations we work with have captured this information as part of the joining process. How long have you been in the industry? That's a pretty common question. You're not asking for, some organizations feel comfortable asking for things like age, but asking how long you've been at a particular profession is pretty standard when you're joining. So lots of lots of folks have that information either in their AMS or LMS. So now in our study, millennials, again, not to pick on them, but it's a great example. They've reported that real desire for the practical, just-in-time development that probably provides that real-world situational experience. They have reported wanting information, content, and training that's going to help them be effective right now. If you're among the 77% of organizations who aren't personalizing your content by career stage, again, just as an example, are you missing an opportunity? Could you segment your learners or members in your LMS to identify those who have been in their career fewer than five years? Could you share content you know that's relevant to that stage that they're in in their careers? And maybe, you know, how would that influence your level of satisfaction or loyalty if you were meeting their training needs with the content they were looking for? I think, you know, the other end, there's con- so there's content. I think the other one is probably format for learning and education folks. We talk a lot about format. We talk about how we deliver training in person, online. Is it on demand? Is it live web. There's so many things we talk about in terms of format. So format for training can be another great opportunity for 
those who are mid-career, perhaps Gen X, if you want to look at it that way, if you're mid-career, they've got a similar interest in training. Training also ranks really highly for them, but they're looking at training for different reasons. It's not about that real-world situational experience. They've got that now, but they're looking at knowledge, learning, and training as an opportunity, I think, to boost them into that next step in their career. That being said, they're busy. They can't always make live events. Maybe they're in meetings. Maybe they're juggling commitments at home. More than any other segment, we looked at our Gen X mid-career segment expressed a preference for on-demand replay of live events. So in this scenario, you may be promoting your webinars to everyone, even the Gen X learners, but what about the replay? Are you sending a link to the recording of that training just to the people who registered and didn't show up or just to the people who registered? Or are you sharing it more broadly, maybe meeting members where they are in terms of their delivery preference? A lot of this seems like common sense, but taking the time to, to kind of personalize your learning and education based on some basic attributes in, in the segment that's meaningful to you, it can make a big difference. And I think give you, you know, maybe your audiences for events or for trainings aren't as big, but they're ultimately going to be more effective in engendering that loyalty and really fe- creating that feeling of connectedness. Yeah, absolutely. And I like too that you talked about, you know, the personalization can happen along different um, kind of axes. There's the content question, there's the format question, and probably some other um, attributes too that could be considered. Um, But that's great. And so, you know, just out of curiosity, I'm thinking, you know, you had this data from this study to work with. And um, I'm wondering if there was a particular data point or a finding that um, you found particularly interesting or noteworthy, you know, maybe because it surprised you, maybe because it confirmed, you know, kind of a a deep-seated suspicion that you've, you know, harbored for years. Anything come to mind? You know, the one that, the one that got, that got me and I think got other members of the team when we were doing this research too was, was the code of ethics. You know, when we asked members what the top benefit was to retain them, the number one answer was codes of ethics. And it was codes of ethics across every generation. We surveyed as well across super members, rank and file. It was even number two for value seekers, codes of ethics. And this happened when we initiated this research last year. And whenever we talk about it, we get a raised eyebrow. I have an email in my inbox right now from a webinar we did earlier this week that asked, really? Like, our codes of ethics are just kind of bullet points. Are, are we missing something here? You know, the, the codes of ethics always rate highly. And it's often to the surprise of organizations who just di- aren't thinking about it. At their core, those, common eth- those, those codes of ethics, they're really providing common standards, best practices for a profession. And they're really a lasting testament. They, they talk about the integrity of an association of members. For those getting started in the career, it's a guardrails. If you're more mature, it's kind of the statement of their commitment to the profession. Similar for super members who've been highly engaged. For value seekers, you know, those standards and rules are one of the few reasons that they report belonging in the first place. The codes of ethics... I think it's it's sort of the sleeper, right? It's a sleeper benefit that no one thinks uh-huh. about is don't keep them in a binder on your shelf or buried on someone's hard drive. Um, you know, make sure that they get their moment in the sun. The members are looking for them. Is there an opportunity, you know, for your training and learning folks to offer refreshers on codes of ethics, um, to, to share what's new, to talk about, you know, different, to engage and have conversations about things influencing codes of ethics. They re- Members are really looking for it and they are really excited about codes of ethics in a way that I think continues to sort of surprise organizations and surprise some of us doing the research as well. 
Yeah, it was funny. I I saw that as the top benefit, and I thought, huh, as well. So everybody um, <laughs> does. Every you know, it, it's it is at this point, it's transcended countries, it transcends verticals, it's you know, ages, size of organization, type of organization. Everyone sort of you you put that slide up, and when we talk about it, people just look at you like like you've blown their mind. Like, what are you talking about? No, seriously, this is what the data says. I have the cross tabs. I can share them with you. People really dig your code of ethics. Um, and so it, it's definitely, I think it's a sleeper and I think, um, it's, it's worth dusting off and revisiting. Yeah. I like the idea of seeing, you know, what, um, right. What else could be done with it? And maybe there are specific learning opportunities, training opportunities directly tied to those code of ethics that organizations maybe aren't taking advantage of now. So I have, um, Next to last question for you, and this is going to move away from the member loyalty study and um, focus on learning, specifically uh, your own learning. And um, because this is the Leading Learning Podcast, uh, you know, we just like to hear from the folks we interview kind of about their own experiences with learning. So I'd like to ask, what's one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved with um, as an adult, you know, since completing your, your formal education? Sure. I think, you know, for me, my post-collegiate education in some ways has been more meaningful than most of the classes I went to in school. I think like a lot of overachieving high school kids, I arrived to college totally burned out and and spent my, my four years focused maybe on the wrong things. So after college, I was that person who was hungry for the practical application. It was that opportunity to learn in context that made it really relevant for me and more impactful. I'm sort of the case, I'm the case study for the segment. You know, I was the person who wasn't engaged in my college career, maybe in the way that in hindsight I would have liked to be. But coming out of college, I really wanted that information. I sought that information out and I had a lot of opportunities to attend workshops and conferences, um, many of which have been influential to me over my career. I think the one, you know, if I were forced to kind of pick pick one that's one of the most powerful learning experiences I had was a workshop I attended while living in Chicago. It was called Presenting Data and Information. And for people like me, you know, I've been in marketing many, many years now and have always worked to not only field and write the research, but how can, how can I present it in a way that is meaningful to an audience that they can take something away from it and they can actually put it to work. Um, the presenter, Edvard Tuft, who's a professor at Yale, he said a lot of things in that presentation who drove me, that drove me bananas. Um, you know, I am somebody who has loved, I am one of the rare birds. I've loved Microsoft PowerPoint since its first version was released in 1987. And to hear him just rail on PowerPoint, just, <laughs> you know, had me leaping out of my chair. But he challenged my thinking of how we present information, and he challenged how challenged me to be better in terms of how we can make the presentation of information more simple and more elegant and more easily understood by the people that we were trying to reach. And that, you know, I, I could I could pick apart all sorts of stuff about, you know, how to actually do the presentations. But that concept of really looking at the data, you look at the data as a researcher and you look at the information as a researcher, you understand what it says. But looking at that same data through the eyes of the person you want to hear about it was was something sort of, it, it seems so simple, but it was kind of revolution to me at that point in my 
career. So definitely I, you know, I continue, I'm a lifelong learner. I, I love participating in learning sessions, conferences, all of it. Um, but that session in particular opened my eyes and even, you know, maybe, maybe changed the way in the trajectory of some of my career for that. I'm really grateful. Well, and I, obviously there's direct application in this member loyalty study there Absolutely. in terms of uh, presenting. I'm putting my learning to use. <laughs> yes. So final question, if folks want to know more about this study and, and community brands, where should they go? And if you're open to it, also, how can they connect with you, Amanda? For sure. Uh, you know, if you're interested in the study, you're welcome to visit Community Brands website. You'll find it at communitybrands.com slash member loyalty study. You can also interact with our individual brands on that site. Um, we'd also love to connect with you via social media and be part of the conversation on Twitter. Our Twitter f- handle is at com c o m m underscore brands that's always going to have the latest information from across our family of products all the research all the webinars all the goodies um, are going to be made available to you there as for me I, I love to hear from listeners and learn more about the trends they're seeing with regards to their own learning and education I'm also happy to bounce ideas around with our team and, and share with you what we can I'm available to you via email amanda.myers m-y-e-r-s at communitybrands.com Wonderful. Thanks so much for taking time today, Amanda. Thank you. That wraps up our interview with Amanda Myers. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks once again to your membership. You can find out more about your membership and all it offers at yourmembership.com. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 102. That's where you will find a link to the member loyalty study and You'll also find various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you are getting value out of the podcast, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. And we also, we always say this, but we really do mean it. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. It'll put you in the right place. You can give a, a quick rating, give us some stars, five, we hope. We really appreciate it. Helps us know that you value the podcast. And it also makes it easier for others to find the podcast and know what it's all about. We also hope you will consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, pick another social network of your preference and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.